The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And a good morning. And if you're thinking, you know what, I got a friend or a family member who's dealing with an insurance company or just went off on disability or just been cut off their disability, don't stay silent about it. Uh, call us and reach out. You can reach out help at disabilityrights.ca and simply the website disabilityrights.ca. While you're there, you can uh, find a way and a link to catch our TV show, a 30-minute uh, televisual feast that is what this radio show is based on so check it out disability law show on global tv and ctv as well savan my brother how are you this morning i'm very good john how are you it'd be better if the gym was open but other than that <laughs> uh, let's get this radio show underway what's uh, what's happening yeah. the week that was bell absolutely yeah it's been a very very crazy week again yeah. uh, tons of people contacting us about their long-term disability claims and you know, let me start off, John, with uh, a, a posting we got to uh, our free website, mydisabilityquestions.com. This one comes from John, mm-hmm. and here's what John writes. He says, after nine years of being on long-term disability in the Canada uh, pension, uh, sorry, the Disab- Canada pension plan disability, yep. uh, at some point when I am ready, I will participate in a vocational rehabilitation program. How will that? impact my current long-term disability? At what point in time should I expect to be, uh, to no longer be entitled to my current LTD? So this is a very good question because many insurers uh, do fund and, uh, and, and, and try to get people into some kind of a vocational program, a rehab program to help them either get back to their own occupation or into some kind of an, a different occupation, especially if you're a younger individual on disability. Now, this person here, John, he's been on disability for nine years. I don't know what kind of disability he has, but clearly you're dealing with something that's significant. Because remember that, you know, for people who are applying for long-term disability, you know, to be eligible under most LTD policies for the first two years, under the policy, you have to show, with the help of your doctors, that you cannot do your own occupation, the substantial portions of your own occupation. Beyond the two-year mark, the question is, can you do any occupation for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience? So the fact that this individual here has been on LTD for nine years and has also been recognized by CPP disability, right, the government, as being uh, disabled from working, having a severe and prolonged disability, that tells me he's got something serious going on. And so if the insurance company is now engaging him in some kind of a vocational rehab program or is telling him that they want him to do that, to me that signals that the insurer is likely going to cut him off at some point in the future. Not necessarily so, but potentially. Now, there's nothing wrong with an insurance company inherently wanting you to get back to work. In fact, I want people to go back to work, right? I mean, John, we're in the middle of this pandemic. People want to get back to work. But not everyone can. And so the question he has is, once he enters that rehab program, does that mean he automatically gets cut off? And the answer is no. It's absolutely not. Under LTD policies, there are really two ways that you can be cut off LTD. Number one is if you reach whatever the age limit is. And in most policies, it's age 65. That's actually prescribed in the policy. Policy says usually, if you reach age 65, the benefits end. Uh, So that's one way, and that happens often. Uh, and another way is if you no longer become uh, eligible for the disability, meaning that you no longer satisfy the test, so you are disabled from working, in this case here, after nine years, probably in any occupation for which you're suited. 
But you know, John, the reason why I said that, uh, you know, this person is going to have to be careful here is that after nine years of being on LTD, forget about the actual disability itself. You're talking about somebody who's been out of the workforce for nine years. And again, we don't know how old this person is. But to me, if the insurance company wants him to engage in a rehab program, a vocational rehab program, they are signaling at least to me that they want him off LTD. So what I can see happening here, and I've seen this in other situations, is that, no, they won't cut him off while he's doing the rehab program. But once he finishes the rehab program, the insurance company may say, well, now we think that you are able to do some other job for which we've now trained you, uh, you know, you've gotten rehab for, and there's no reason for you not to get a job uh, within that field or or number of fields that we've trained you in. And, and so, you know, people, of course, uh, in many instances, yes, they've engaged in this program, but they're unable to actually work, right? I mean, you can go through a program. It doesn't mean that you're actually able to, you're not disabled anymore from working. And so what I think may happen, I hope it won't, but I think it may, is the insurance company will have him go through it. And then at the end, they'll tell him, you can do X, Y, and Z by way of jobs. He'll say potentially, no, I can't. His doctors may say he cannot, he's still disabled. And then the insurance company will bring down the ax and cut off his benefits. So what he needs to do, and there's a whole bunch of things that I can work with him on in terms of making sure that he's doing it correctly and recording all the communications he has with him, you know, with his insurer, you know, by way of email and making sure that his doctors are on board. And if he's ready to go back to work, that's fantastic. But if he's not, even at the end of that rehab program and the insurance company says we're going to end your benefits he needs to do something about that he needs to be able to communicate with me so i can tell him what he can do but you know he needs to be on his guard and that's the message for everyone out there when you're dealing with an insurance company especially especially in the ltd context you need to be on your guard i don't care how good your relationship is with your adjuster the adjuster has a motive here and the motive is to protect his or her overlords at the insurance company, the supervisors, the directors, whoever else, the insurance company, that's who they're working for. They're not working for you, even though they're supposed to, they're supposed to be there for you. That's not what insurance does. Insurance is not there, contrary to what they advertise, to be there for you on this rainy day and to help you with things. They are there to take your premiums, and if there's any way possible that they can avoid paying you, that's what they will do. Trust me, there's no exceptions to this. You know, usually they come knocking normally around the two-year mark to get you, uh, you know, off, you know, full disability when you've been off after the two-year mark. We know that. And then when they start lurking around and saying you can do some other job, always the factor of on your side, you always come back and say, yeah, but there's got to be commensurate income. 60, 65% of your previous employment is one of the conditions. But after nine years of being off, mm-hmm. obviously they he went past the two-year mark, so this guy's disabled. Now they're looking at vocational training. After the nine-year stretch, does that still apply, or they're going to say, you know what, it's been almost a decade. The the concept of commensurate income doesn't even apply here. The guy's been off work for 10 years, so we can offer him something with a pay cut. Or does that still apply going back nine years, say he was making 100 k a year? It's got to be 63%, 65% of that. That's a, it's a very good question, John. My argument would be that you have to look at the numbers today. You know, so if this guy was a computer engineer who was making a hundred grand pre-disability nine years ago, you know, and now let's say somebody in his position makes hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year now, I don't think you can go back and say that we're going to cut you off if you can find a job that pays you sixty, sixty-five percent of the one hundred thousand, right, of nine, ten years ago. I don't think that's fair. Yeah. 
I think you have to look at the time today. And, and everything is relative. And remember, everything is also subject to the wording of the policy. And one of the things that we do as lawyers, uh, and sometimes you know we're hated for that, and sometimes we're loved uh, you know for that, depending on who it is that we're dealing with, a client or the insurance company. Uh, our job is to find ambiguities in the insurance contract. And the reason why we do that, the reason why we can challenge insurance companies is because there is a principle of law that is specific to insurance law. Uh, it, it's more generally, let, actually, let me, let me just you know step back. More generally, there is a principle in common law, which is the law that dominates in Canada uh, and, and you know in England and the US. And, and, and the, the contract law principle I'm talking about is contra preferentum. That is the Latin term. What that means is that if there is an ambiguity in a provision, in a contract between two or more parties, then uh, the, the interpretation uh, that is uh, going to be preferred by a court ultimately is the interpretation that goes against whoever drafted the insurance contract or, or the contract. In insurance law, it, it's even more explicit. If there is an ambiguity in the provision and the policy, in other words, if you as a layperson can read that provision, whatever provision you're dealing with, that you're arguing with your insurance company about, in a way that makes sense uh, to you and is favorable to you as an insured, and the insurance company you know, slaps on it their own interpretation that's favorable to them, guess what? Your interpretation is the one that is going to, to trump at the end of the day. And, and that's, just, that's just something that we have here in Canada that's part of common law, insurance law specifically. And that's something that we utilize quite often in creating leverage over insurance companies when they deny claims unjustly or when they cut people off. We look at those provisions that they rely on to stop our, our, our clients from getting money and, and, and we target those and we target the insurance company's interpretation of those provisions. And, and the insurance company understands that at the end of the day, uh, if we are successful in court, and of course these matters almost never go to court, they always, they almost always get settled out of court, uh, you know, we're able to then exact uh, whatever compensation our client is owed. And, and that happens in virtually every case we take on. Well, it makes sense from their side too. I mean, as you say, at the end of the day, as the expression goes, they are a business and they're they're a, they're a profit making business. So that's that's their motive. I mean, yeah, they've got to cover you, but at the end of the day, they're going to try to do what they can do not to do that. So, yeah, you got to know exactly what's in that policy, and it's always up for review if someone needs to to send it along to you, right? Oh, absolutely. We do this all the time. People contact us with different questions, and we tell them just flip us the policy. If you don't have it, ask for it. And I agree with you, John. I mean, you know, insurance is out there. They're there to make money. I don't begrudge them of that. Of I'm okay with that, okay? I'm fine with capitalism to an extent, obviously, but I'm fine with, with you know, the fact that insurance companies want to make money. No issues. My issue comes when it's clear, it's crystal clear that they're taking a position that is just wrong, not just wrong at law, but wrong morally and ethically and legally. And, and, you know, they use their power to bully an individual into submission and then basically keep all the money that's owed to this person. That is wrong, and that is what, why, why we are here to stop that. And, and that's, you know, we answer these kinds of questions from people all the time. And that's why we, if we tell you that you have a case, most likely is because we think that if we go after the insurance company, we can force them to pay you. Let's take a short break, and we'll get into a lot of stuff, including what are three things people need to do if they are struggling to work because of depression. That is on the way. one 821 5900 That's the call Savan and his team. And we'll take your emails. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. 
The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. By the way, there's another resource for you. It's called mydisabilityquestions.com. That is where you go online, ask your questions. You can also do a search of the database of questions already asked. And if it has been asked, you'll see it, read the reply. If not, leave it. Savan and his crew will, uh, will get to it. And you'll get a response for sure. Three things people need to do if they are struggling to work because of depression. First of all, uh, obvious, but some people don't do this. Just don't ignore it. Speak with your doctor and get a referral to a mental health professional, be it a psychologist, psychotherapist, or a psychiatrist for that matter. What do you say, pal? Absolutely. And John, I'm talking now uh, not only as a lawyer, um, and I'll explain why in a second it's actually important that you don't ignore that from a legal standpoint, but you know, as just a human being, I speak with people all the time who contact me because they've had issues with their insurance company denying their claims, and they're suffering from depression, anxiety, PTSD, phobias, etc. And I ask them, you know, have you gotten a referral? Have you gotten treatments? Not from your family doctor, who could be great, but from somebody who has a specialty in that area, a psychotherapist, a psychologist, someone like that. And many of them say no. And some sometimes they say no because I have no money for it. Sometimes they say no because my doctor just hasn't referred me to anyone. And sometimes it's just because they just don't want to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. They think that there is some kind of a stigma to that. And, and you know, it's really interesting to speak about this now during the pandemic, John, when we're talking about people who are under tremendous amount of stress all over the world, but especially here in Canada, uh, friends, family, co-workers, you know, I see people struggling with the isolation, with the lockdowns. Here's the thing. I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor here, okay? But I think no one in the medical field is going to disagree when I say that if you're suffering from a mental health illness, get help for it. Uh, specifically, ask your doctor for a referral. Uh, spe- you know, specifically, go to a clinic or, or contact someone to help you that has a specialty in that area. From a legal standpoint, this is crucial. If you're saying that you suffer from depression, uh, but you're not going for, you know, for, for, for treatments or you're not going to see someone who is in that field, that weakens your legal case. It's really quite simple. You have two individuals, I'll, I'll position this, you know, this way to you, John, as an example. Two individuals, both of them having uh, um, severe depression, let's say. Both of them aren't able to work because of that. One person, however, goes once a month, once in two months to their family doctor just for for a follow-up. And the other person goes to the family doctor but also has a psychotherapist, let's say, once a week. And and so those two individuals then apply for long-term disability or perhaps both of them are already on long-term disability. Which case do you think the insurance company is going to view as a stronger case to keep a person on disability or to approve their claim? The person who is going to a mental health professional regularly or a person who is not? I mean, just think about that for a second. It just, just, you know, if you don't know the person, you're thinking to yourself, well, how bad can it be if you're not seeking help for your particular illness, right? How bad can your knee pain be if you're not going to see a doctor about it? Right. I mean, I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's the same for everyone. I'm just saying that there is an optical issue here. Right. From an optics standpoint, the insurance company is more likely to deny your LTD claim 
if you're not going to someone who's who's there to treat your specific illness or, or disability, whatever is, is disabling you from working. So that's the first thing. Do not ignore it both from a medical standpoint, but also from a legal standpoint, because it weakens your case if you're not getting, you know, the, 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 the attention that you need for your disability from a practitioner, a medical practitioner, uh, or someone else in, in whatever field that you need uh, to help you. It just it weakens your case. It's not good. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned the knee pain. Knee pain long enough and debilitating enough can turn yep. into, you know, a mental disability as well, depression and everything else because you're incapable of doing the, the physical. And it can be a, a spiraling effect for sure. So, yeah, you've got you to get on it. We're talking about three things people need to do if they're struggling to work because of depression. And this one's key. People can they can slack off too much. Follow prescribed treatments, psychotherapy sessions, uh, medications you're prescribed. You got to keep on the ball, right? You have to. You absolutely have to. In fact, I've been dealing now with uh, with a case uh, where where a good friend of mine had suffered uh, uh, you know a, a very severe injury. It's not depression. It's an orthopedic injury, uh, you know, to their back. And one of the arguments that the insurance company has now made in stopping their payments, albeit temporarily, uh, they haven't cut the person off, but they've stopped it, is they're saying, we haven't seen you continue to get treatments. You know, your doctor has prescribed X, Y, and Z, and you haven't been doing that. Now, there's a good explanation why my friend hasn't been doing the specific treatments he's been prescribed. But the point is, you know, again, going back to the first point, John, if your doctors or whoever you're going to for, for treatments has prescribed something for you, uh, whether it's to come see them once a week, and it could be via Zoom, by the way, or Skype or by phone, or whether it's medications, the insurance company is going to be aware of that. And, and you know, it's really important to understand that if the insurance company sees that you are not complying with those treatments, they're going to take the position that you are in breach of the terms of the policy. And they're going to say, therefore, we're not going to pay you. And they do this time and time again. And again, sometimes there are reasons. Sometimes somebody says, I cannot take a specific medication for my depression because, you know, it makes me woozy. It makes me, yeah. you know, loopy. I can't do it. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. But then speak with your psychologist, psychiatrist, whoever's treating you, see if they can prescribe a different medication or see if they can provide a report or a letter that explains why they agree that this medication is not for you. Because otherwise, uh, non-compliance with prescribed treatments is a ground that the insurance company regularly uses to cut people off or deny LTD claims. You don't want to be in that boat. Third thing you got to do, and people often forget they have it, especially through work, that is apply for STD or LTD, uh, either private coverage or through work. If you're denied, that's when you got to reach out because it's there for you. You're paying for it. Absolutely. So, so let's again break this down. Many, many people, John, do not know, are not aware that through their work, through their benefits plan, they have coverage for short-term and or long-term disability. Check it out. Even if you don't need it right now, just reach out to your HR department, reach out to your manager, find out if you have that kind of a safety net, the, the shortened disability, long-term disability program. And, and I can tell you, John, it doesn't matter if the company is big or if it's small. Uh, in many instances, as part of the benefits package that employees have, you have access to STD slash LTD. And you may need that. It may not be now. It may be next week, next month, maybe never. But at least if you know you have it, that's great. Now, if you don't have it, I suggest, I highly recommend that you get it privately if you can. 
Okay, and I say if you can because it's, if you can afford it, it's just like anything else. Many people don't own a car because they can't afford the insurance. So it's the same thing here. But I suggest if you do not have coverage through work, go get it privately. And especially again now with the pandemic, John, with the huge increase in mental health issues that Canadians are now experiencing, it's more important than ever for people to know that they have a safety net. If they need time off, if they're unable to work because of their psychological issues, their depression, anxiety, Whatever, whatever is disabling them, they need to know that they should be able to apply uh, f- for that disability, STD or LTD. And again, if you get denied, this is key. If you get denied, remember that when you get denied LTD, the denial letter will outline towards the end of the letter a process of appeal. How do you appeal that decision? Don't bother without appeal. Okay, we've talked about this many times. It's a nonsense, uh, you know, merry-go-round process where you're simply re-asking the exact same people who denied you in the first place. The same insurance company that denied you, you're re-asking them to reconsider, you know, the denial. They have no incentive, no reason, uh, unless you have something really, really different that you're going to show them. They're just going to deny you again and again and again, which is why we tell people just contact us. We will have a conversation on the phone, won't cost you a cent, we'll talk for a few minutes, ask you a few questions, and then tell you what your options are. And then you can decide what you want to do. Ultimately, if you are eligible and you should be getting disability, if you should be getting LTD, and you get denied, you have a legal claim. You have a right, by law, to force the insurance company to pay you. It's your choice if you want to enforce that right. It's your choice if you want to force them to give you the money they owe you. Highlight, underline the word O. They owe you that money. Uh, But again, it's important at least that you know if if you have that right. And John, I I just want to put it out there to people. The many individuals who we end up helping are not the people who necessarily listen to the program. It's people who listen, who know someone in that situation, and then put that person in touch with us or get their permission to communicate with us on behalf of the disabled individual. Usually it's family members, friends, coworkers. We're more than happy to speak with absolutely anyone and give this information. This is really, really key. Give me the number. It's toll free. Just keep it one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Let's get into our first email here. As we uh, we move along this morning, Nimra writes in says, guys, my psychiatrist has recommended that I go on LTD following a mental health crisis. There you go. Uh, I've informed my employer, and they responded that they do not have an LTD program despite it being on my employment contract. My employment contract states that I am eligible for LTD after successful completion of my probationary period. I have let them know this and have not heard a response in two business days. What should I do? Well, this is an interesting situation here because, again, this goes to the point, John, that I made that in many instances, employees have access through their health benefits plan through work to short-term and long-term disability plans. And, you know, what's interesting here with NIMRA and unfortunate for NIMRA is that, you know, clearly the, for whatever reason, the employer put this in the contract that the person has LTD coverage, but they actually don't. And, and I can tell you the fact that Nimer was under the impression that, uh, you know, that, that, that that program existed there means that the employer could be on the hook now for the LTD that Nimer requires because had Nimer not uh, been misled through the employment contract, uh, you know, if, if, if Nimer knew uh, that there was no such plan, then, you know, he could have easily, easily gotten uh, his his own LTD, uh, uh, you know, coverage privately. So the fact that he didn't do that because he relied on that uh, through his employer means that the employer potentially is on the hook here. And, and we've seen situations. In fact, it does happen. 
I wouldn't say regularly, but it does happen every so often that the employer is the one who's responsible for the LTD coverage. Sometimes they're self-insured. Sometimes, John, the insurance company that uh, is involved in the process uh, w- with the employees is simply there to manage the claims. But the, the company that actually pays for the LTD is actually the employer. So again, you know, you have all these different situations, different nuances, and this goes back to my point that I've made in other shows that you really need to go to a disability lawyer, somebody who has an expertise and a focus on this area of law to be able to navigate through these issues and help you. So Nimra, my suggestion is that after the show, we get in touch with each other uh, and we can speak about your options, but I think that your employer here may very well be on the hook. It depends on whether or not you want to engage your employer in a discussion here, right? Because Nimra is still working there, John. So that's a consideration. But from a legal standpoint, if Nimra was under the impression that there was access to long-term disability through uh, or, or by way of the, empo- the employment contract, uh, and, and there isn't, and, and Nimra now needs it, well, then I think there's a claim against the employer here. Nimra, you've got the uh, email address for sure. Reach out now to uh, Savan and his team, one 821 5900 We'll take a short break here, get right back to it. It is the Disability Law Show, and this is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. The email address is where we go back to Arvin. Writes in, says, morning, guys. My wife is a private school teacher and has been struggling with depression and anxiety for many years. She was on LTD for just over a year this past March when the schools were shut down because of COVID. Her situation became worse, and her insurance adjuster keeps questioning whether she can work or not and insinuates that she's trying to stay on disability because she doesn't want to teach. He told her that unless she tries to return to work, her benefits will be cut off at the end of the year. What can we do about this? Jeez, Arvin, I, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. This is this is not uncommon, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, we've helped many, many teachers across Ontario, across BC, um, which is where we operate those two provinces. And, and I can tell you that this is absolutely unacceptable. And, John, I have seen this before with insurance adjusters who think that they're gods. They have these massive egos. Uh, they have hubris, and they think that they can simply play with people's lives. And, and that's not the case, Arvin. Your wife has rights here. And I can tell you that the fact that this adjuster is trying to pressure her to go back to work before she is ready, before her doctor says she's ready, is something that we can go after the insurance company for. Uh, and I've done this before. I've done this before, where the insurance company takes the position that the individual should be ready. That's what they say. They should be ready, right, uh, to go back to work. And therefore, if the person doesn't try to go back to work, as per the instructions of the adjuster, because of course the adjuster knows everything, uh, then they'll cut off uh, benefits. And, and and what do they say here? What do they mean? They mean that by cutting the benefits, really, if you think about it, for many families, that means cutting the financial lifeline. And that is unacceptable. Now, we have some time before the end of the year, Arvin. I can get involved personally. I can deal with this adjuster. Her payments have not been cut off yet. I think what I would do here is I would get some more information from you and your wife, and I would simply email the adjuster directly, explain why it is that what they're doing is completely inappropriate, and then give them an option. Either back off or be prepared to get a legal claim served on you. 
And you know, one thing adjusters don't like is getting legal claims started against the insurance companies because remember, they're not in the business of inviting these kinds of legal claims. They don't want to deal with lawyers like myself. Why? Because it costs them money. Remember, they're in the business of making money, not in the business of shelling out money. That's the reason why they want to cut you off in the first place or deny your claim. So when a lawyer like myself or someone on my team gets involved, what that means from a practical standpoint is that the insurance company understands, or at least the people we're dealing with at the insurance company understand, that now it will cost them money to defend a claim like this, and they understand because of our reputation that we're going to go as far as we need to to force them to pay what they owe. Now, again, Arvin, we're not in that situation with your wife. Your wife has not been cut off benefits at this point, you know, but it, it concerns me that the adjuster has said that if she does not at least try to go back to work, uh, then she will be cut off. I think that's inappropriate completely, especially, again, if she's not in a state to be able to do that, especially not now during the pandemic, and especially if the doctors she's going to have confirmed that she's not ready to go back to work. So really, really important right now for us to, to speak with each other. I'm really happy that you emailed us. I think this is something, John, that many people can learn from. Many people feel like they're under the gun. Many people feel bullied by their insurance adjusters and by their insurance companies. They feel that they have no options. Let me dispel that for you, for everyone out there. Insurance companies are not as powerful as you think. Not because they don't have the money. Of course they have the money. But you know what's true about every entity that is really, really rich, that has a lot of money? They don't want to give up that money. And so they don't like lawyers. They don't like lawyers because lawyers, especially lawyers like myself, who have that focus and specialty in this area, uh, we make it very expensive for them. So once we get involved, they make the calculation. Is it worthwhile fighting Sivan and his team and eventually paying anyways? Or should we come to some kind of a bargain right now? Or should we simply not cut the person off in the first place? What do you think they do, John? What, what do you think they do when we get involved and the person has not been cut off? Or even sometimes when they have been cut off, but we get in on the action really quickly. You know, we've talked about this before. These adjusters back off. They back off because they understand that we're going to force them to pay. Well, they back off because they know they don't want to get into some court battle and end up losing anyway because court is very expensive because they got to get all their lawyers involved, which is the reason why you always say these things very rarely, rarely ever get that far because... The, uh, the insurance company can't hack it. They can't go the distance and they don't want to, right? No. I mean, you know, whenever they do go the distance, and again, I'm speaking as somebody who used to do insurance work in the past, mm -hmm. worked for insurance companies, it's not that they never go to court. Of course, they do sometimes, but there is a reason why most of these cases resolve. They don't resolve in court in most instances. They result way, way before it even gets to a courthouse. This is not like, you know, a court TV. Uh, it, it doesn't go like that. There's a lot of preparation that happens. The lawyers have to put in a lot of effort. The insurance company has to pay a lot of money to their lawyers. You know, I'll tell you, I remember a case that I did where I went to court for the insurance company years and years and years ago. And I think that the legal bill, uh, and incidentally, that, relatively speaking, wasn't even that expensive. The legal bill that the insurance company had to pay at the end of the day, at the completion of trial, was, was I think, in excess of $250,000. So, so, you know, you have to understand that insurance companies don't want to do that. That's why I, I, you know, vividly sort of say and state that when we go after the insurance company and start a legal claim, we cause them to bleed money. That's the reality. And, and by the way, we don't advance frivolous claims. We only advance claims that we believe in. If somebody calls me, like Arvin, for example, or his wife, and I look at the medical documentation, I speak to the individual, and I believe that person, 
I am willing at that point to put all of my firm's resources, talent, and, and everything we have up against the insurance company, and they know that. And that's the reason why they come to the table and they pay at the end of the day. They do because they understand that it's going to be less expensive for them. It's not because suddenly they found God. It's because they make a calculation that it's more worthwhile to resolve the claim with us rather than go the distance and lose more money. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out. That is the way to do that when we're not uh, doing the show or even during then. Just leave a message and someone will get back to you. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That is uh, where we're going back to. We love our emails. Nathan, you're up, pal, says, I went to see an insurance doctor in August, and yesterday my long-term disability case manager called me and said that the results of my IME uh, is that I'm not disabled from working in other types of work, and that my benefits will stop by the end of November. I have rheumatoid arthritis that's been getting progressively worse. I can't really hold stuff because my hands shake a lot. I'm in a lot of pain. 58 years old, and I worked as a carpenter for over 30 years. I don't understand why they're cutting me off benefits and how they can possibly think that I can do other work at this point. My doctors all agree that I can't work in my condition. Can I uh-oh, Can I appeal this, or is there no point trying to convince the insurer not to stop my benefits? Nathan, there is no point appealing this. This is one of the clearest cases, just from the information you've given us, uh, one of the clearest cases of where the insurance company is just being thick. And, and you know, they're, they're inviting a legal claim, not only a legal claim, but they're inviting a claim for punitive damages. This is so absurd, John, to have someone like Nathan with a condition that he has, with all of the doctors saying he cannot work, and the insurance company sends him to a hired gun, a doctor that they paid to see him, not to one of the doctors that have been treating Nathan, that knows Nathan and knows his medical history, but an insurance doctor who may be good at what he or she does, right, as a doctor, but has been specifically hired for the purpose of cranking out a report that the insurance company hopes will tell them something they like or that they want, which is what happened here. Now, uh, Nathan mentioned, you know, mentioned the, uh, the um, uh, name of the, of the uh, assessment as an IME. I want to break this down. IME stands for Independent Medical uh, Examination. Uh, insurance companies use that. They say, um, we're going to send you to an IME, an orthopedic IME, a psychiatric IME. There is nothing independent in that assessment. You know, for anyone out there, if you've been asked by your insurance company to go see one of their doctors or one of their practitioners, ask the insurance adjuster who's paying for that individual. Without exception, without exception, the insurance company will admit that they're the ones paying the doctor. Well, if you have a doctor here, that is, is getting, I don't know how many of these assessments a month, let's say 10, and they're getting paid three grand for each assessment, they can be making $30,000 a month just from this insurance company sending them, you know, th- these individuals to assess. Well, why, what do you think this doctor is going to be predisposed to doing, right? I mean, <laughs> predisposed to not making the insurance company mad, which means that the vast majority of opinions are probably going to be favoring the insurance company. I, let me let me let me tell you this. Let's back up for a second here, Nathan. I'll tell you this. When I used to work as an insurance um, lawyer, again many years ago, not anymore, uh, we used to discuss amongst ourselves the lawyers, the defense lawyers. Uh, we had each each one of us was handling claims, tons of claims, and uh, you know we would have I would have somebody with a, a back injury or a knee injury or or a psychiatric uh, issue, and, and you know when we wanted to send the individual to an assessment, 
we would talk amongst ourselves which one of these doctors would be better for us, for the insurance company. And that's how we would select which one would do this examination. Yeah. You know, so it's absolutely important to understand that when you go to an insurance assessor, most likely the, the, the result is going to be in favor of the insurance company, but we can challenge that. John on the phone line. Hang on, my brother. We'll get to you after a short, uh, short break here. Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. John, thank you so much for hanging on this morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, I've, uh, I, 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 I'm on my third week, uh, third month of, I took a leave of absence, August 7th. And I have my cardiologist, psychiatrist, and my general practitioner. They've filled out all the medical reports for Canada Pension Plan Disability Benefit. But I have a RBC LTD that I've been paying personally, not the company that I was working for. Mm-hmm. So my issues, I've had a triple bypass. I'm having problems with my heart now, my diabetes, psychology, mm-hmm. depression. I just don't know what my, my next step would be. John, have you applied for long-term disability with RBC? No, no, because if I'm not mistaken, because I don't have the policy and I need need, need to print it out, I uh, I, um, I I I had a three month period that you have to wait if I'm not right. mistaken. So now I'm I'm yeah. on November seventh. It'll be mm-hmm. three months that I've been on leave of absence. Okay. Um, did you did you get this coverage um, uh, through a broker, or did you contact RBC yourself when you first set it up? Okay, so, so at, I I don't mind saying it. I, well, I I was with an employer uh, five six years ago, seven years ago, mm-hmm. and part of my 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 compensation was X amount a year and plus a life life insurance policy and this LTD, mm-hmm. when there was a wrongful d- dismissal, okay, they, they paid me out X amount of dollars because they were in error. But I said, part of the deal is I still want to keep my LTD and my life insurance premium, mm-hmm. my life insurance. So I've been paying it on my own okay. $200, $250 a month. Okay, I, I completely understand. And by the way, that was a very smart move to make sure that you had that coverage stay. Um, you don't yeah, need to wait for the policy. My heart condition, yeah. right? No, I, absolutely. John, you don't need to, to wait for the policy. It's, it's, it's good for you to have it, but the reality is that you should be calling RBC's claim department. You can just Google it. Okay, it's going to be right there. And, and just, uh, um, I, I believe their forms are downloadable, but if not, if you contact the claims department and tell them that you want to apply for LTD, they'll ask you what the policy number is. Uh, not an issue. They will forge you the forms. And, and you basically fill out the forms. You get your doctors to, to help you with that in terms of filling their portions. 
and they will put there what is the nature of your disability. So I would not wait until you get the policy. In fact, in many instances, unfortunately, uh, you know, people don't actually get copies of their policies, even though they should get copies. So my suggestion is you contact RBC immediately, and the three months you're talking about, you have to wait. It's called the elimination period. Before you are actually getting paid by LTD, you have to actually go through this elimination period, this period of time, usually it's about 90 days, and you have to be disabled throughout. Based on what you're describing here, John, based on, on everything that he, he you know he's describing to us, I, I, I do believe he will get LTD, but it's a question of making sure that he gets it sooner rather than later because you know the insurance company will be more than happy to just you know keep waiting and waiting and waiting and not pay anything. Talk a little bit more before we uh, wrap up here, Pound, about a minute. Uh, this whole appeal thing, again, maybe reiterate why yeah. people shouldn't be doing that appeal and how, how I mean, they don't keep stats and how often they're successful, I think, for obvious reason, right? Yeah, I mean, LTD appeals, again, are internal processes. These are not prescribed by any regulation or legislation. In fact, I've recently spoken with, with a good friend. We've had him on the show, Terry Corcoran, who is actually has been on the other side for over three decades, who recently said uh, to us, you know, see where in your insurance policy it actually says that, you know, you have to appeal. It doesn't say anything about that. There is absolutely nothing there that stipulates that you have to appeal these denials. And so when you get a denial of LTD or you're told your LTD is going to come to an end, it's going to get cut off, you are offered, you're offered to appeal. But if you appeal, I'm telling you, most times... And I'm saying this after speaking to thousands of individuals across the country and helping people all over the place, these appeals don't work. All they do is waste your time, they frustrate you, and they make you, you know, they put you in a much more difficult situation from a financial standpoint because by the time you come to me, I could have already resolved the case for you. You know, people go through these appeals for over a year, almost two years, and then at the end, you know, they come to me, I resolve their claim in, in literally a matter of weeks or a few months at most. I could have done that two years ago. We'll leave it there for now. You want to reach out to Savan or James, Tamar, a member of their, uh, their awesome team. It's really simple to do so. I'll be giving it out. I'll show the toll-free number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Disabilityrights.ca is the uh, the website. Help at disabilityrights.ca is that email address we always use. And always remember, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com as well. We'll catch you next time. Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.